0: Let me ask you a question. When does an affair start? What boundary marks the crossing over from fidelity to infidelity? Where would you draw that line? Is it when someone has sex? When there's the first romantic interaction? Or maybe when the first lie is told? We'll consider those questions as we examine two different affairs and attempt to understand where the line was crossed. Before we begin, let me just mention a few things. If you are in need of further help in regards to your own healing after an affair, be sure to go to the personal help section of AffairHealing.com. There you'll find information about phone coaching, counseling, couples retreats, our free open care call-in question and answer sessions, and other options that are available to you. Also, if you'd like to dive deeper into the fair healing process, you're welcome to purchase either of the books that I've written out, A Manual for Betrayed Spouses and A Manual for Couples Who Are Cooperating Together in Their Recovery. You can get information on both of those books by going to fairhealing.com/books. And finally, go to the web page for this podcast to download a free study guide outline of the entire podcast and to see links to other references we'll be making in this presentation. Let's begin.
1: Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by
0: AffairHealing.com. Here's your host, Tim Tedder. So when does infidelity begin? Where does an affair start? Let's begin by first defining what we mean by affair and infidelity. Sometimes those terms are used to mean the same things, but sometimes there's a distinction between the two of them. And some people who have broken the promises they've made to a spouse, get defensive when you call their act an affair when they think it didn't really go far enough to deserve that label. So let me give kind of a general definition. Let's think about infidelity this way. Infidelity is the breaking of an intimate trust, but it's not necessarily an affair. Examples of infidelity may include the use of porn, visiting a strip club, a person's private obsession over somebody else, not their spouse, and maybe just a one-sided pursuit of one person to another trying to get a relationship started, but it's never reciprocated by the other. Any of those things, if it's outside of the agreement between two people in an intimate relationship, is a violation of trust and would be considered an act of infidelity. An affair is an infidelity that leads to a relationship. So every affair includes infidelity, but perhaps not every infidelity becomes an affair in the way that we're defining it here. We're gonna be talking about two affairs. But the beginning process, the crossing over the line, can be true of any act of breaking trust, whether it's a full-blown affair or whether it's infidelity that never turns into the relationship. Because both are a violation of the promises that we make in marriage. Both break the trust that is the foundation of any secure, intimate relationship. So it's important to consider, how do they begin? And our consideration today is going to be primarily the look at the person who at one time acted in faithfulness, but then eventually made a choice of unfaithfulness. They eventually crossed a line we won't necessarily be talking about someone who characteristically from the first moment they started getting involved in relationships has never been trustworthy has consistently and constantly cheated we want to consider the more common experiences of relationships that really started out with an intention of faithfulness and yet somewhere along the way one of the partners got off course when does that begin to happen the path to infidelity is usually a winding one. When a person first steps onto it, they don't usually see where the path eventually ends, but the first step onto the winding path leads to the next and the next and the next until they eventually end up in a place that they didn't even originally intend to go. And once there, they often decide to stay, at least for a while. One book I've previously recommended is the book Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me by Carol Travis. It's an excellent book. It's not specifically about affairs, although there are one or two chapters that deal with that issue, but it's about how people make compromising choices that lead to error, that lead to behaviors and beliefs they would have never claimed to have done or to had before. How does that happen? Here's what the author says in the book. How do you get an honest man to lose his ethical compass? You get him to take one step at a time and self-justification will do the rest. Here's a couple more quotes. Ordinary people can end up doing immoral and harmful things through a chain reaction of behavior and subsequent self-justification. When we, as observers, look at them in puzzlement or dismay, we fail to realize that we are often looking at the end of a long, slow process. When we cross these lines, we are justifying behavior that we know is wrong precisely so that we can continue to see ourselves as honest people and not criminals or thieves. There are people who at one point would have stated that, oh, an affair is wrong, I would never do that, anybody who does it should be condemned, and yet find themselves making those same choices and somehow beginning to believe that it's okay for them. And they begin to contradict any claim that would say that the choices they're making and the beliefs that they're holding on to now are inconsistent with who they are. That book gives some very clear examples how good people end up making some very bad choices and being okay with them. And you know, it's not in one huge step. It's as we said before, it's in that first relatively minor, small compromise that becomes justified that leads to another compromise that is justified that leads to another compromise that is justified and then at the end a spouse is left wondering how could you do that it's very confusing unless you see that it's not just a single line that is crossed it's a series of lines one after another but where does it start what's the first line that gets crossed I'm going to share two stories. The first crossing line story I'll tell is my own story. And then the second will come from a client who agreed to record our conversation so that you could hear how the progression occurred in her experience. If you've listened to enough of these podcasts or been on my affairhealing.com site or have been through counseling with me or have read the books I've written, you're very much aware of the fact that I had an affair over 20 years ago. It caused tremendous consequence to people I cared about and to my own life as well. And eventually, I was encouraged to become a counselor to share some of the things that I learned from my experience and my training to help others avoid some of the regrets that I faced. I was a husband who absolutely meant the vows I made to my wife. And in 16 years of marriage, was certain that I would never be someone who would have an affair. If you'd come to me even a couple months or maybe even weeks before my affair started and said, Tim, you're about to have an affair, I would have said, that's ridiculous. That's something I will never do. And yet I had an affair that became full blown rather quickly. And as I said before, caused tremendous damage, not only to me, but more importantly, to the people around me. My affair was with someone I worked with. And so it's fair to ask, when did that relationship cross a line? When did I step into infidelity? What was the progression of compromise? Let me work backwards from the end back to the beginning. I eventually was giving myself in devotion to this other woman. I gave her the focus of my intimate attention, emotional and sexual, in an ongoing relationship. Was that devotion? The line that was crossed? Is that when it became infidelity or an affair? Or was it the line before that, that first moment when we became intimately sexually involved? Was that first encounter involving some sort of bedroom behavior? Was that the beginning of the affair? Or was it the line before that, when we started making secret plans between us to cooperate privately to spend more time together? Or was it the line before that, when physical affection in a hug and a kiss was first shared between us? Or was it the line before that, when in a private conversation, we expressed mutual affection for one another? Or was it the line before that, when I first stated to her, I think we need to be careful, or this relationship, you know, is going to be difficult for us to maintain? And to be honest, my intent wasn't caution. My intent in that statement was to proclaim verbally that I was feeling certain things about her and to measure her response to see if she was really feeling the same thing about me. Was that the line that was crossed? That was a pretty significant one. Looking back, I believe a line I crossed into infidelity occurred even before I met the woman that I would eventually have an affair with. In a lot of ways, it set me up to a vulnerability That would make it much easier for me to make the next compromises in my affair relationship. That line was just in compromised thoughts about other women. And I'm not talking just about temptation, that everybody has thoughts that come, you know, when you see somebody or you're attracted to somebody and and you deal with those and you dismiss them and you move on with life. I'm talking about the kinds of thoughts that I cultivated. Friendships with women that may have never crossed a line verbally or physically. There would always be plausible deniability that I'd done anything wrong. But inwardly, I invested emotional energy in those friendships with other women rather than in my marriage. And sometimes my wife was aware of it, would talk to me about being uncomfortable with those friendships. And, you know, I would just dismiss it and say, you're being too sensitive. There's nothing going on here. But eventually I had to go back to her and say, you were right. I was looking for satisfaction and friendships that I should have been looking for in our marriage, that I should have been investing in, in our marriage. And in that way, I broke a trust. I broke a promise that I had once made to her that my love, my affection, my devotion, my focus was gonna be on her and our marriage. But while I remained in my marriage, emotionally, I often checked out. I think those first lines of infidelity for me laid the groundwork for what would one day turn into an affair. You know what the common ingredient in all of these lines and all of these steps were? Secrecy. When I thought about this, I was reminded of the interview that I had with the author Linda McDonald, in which she talked about the well-lit room test. This was in podcast number 122, if you want to go listen to it again. But here's what she said.
1: I like uh, one ethics teacher that I took a class from. She talks about the well-lit room test, and that is if you were caught by someone with a bright light on this relationship and your spouse was listening in or looking in on your conversation or your behavior, how would that be interpreted by the spouse? Mm -hmm. And I like that. I think that's a good little thing to ask a person.
0: If secrecy cultivates infidelity, then healing means that we need to shine the light of truth in some of these areas. Let me start by going back through the lines I crossed. I'm going to do it chronologically from the beginning to what became, you know, the full blown affair. And I just want to highlight the justifications that I gave for each choice along the way, because if you'd come to me at the beginning of this process and said, Hey, Tim, why don't you just jump into this relationship and have an affair? I would have said, no, I don't do that. And yet, when there's a series of compromises and each one is justified, it makes it easier to make the next compromise and to justify that one and to make the next one and so forth. Starting with the compromise thoughts about other women. I believe the root of my infidelity was my failure to move vulnerably into my marriage. And instead, think that a more satisfying intimacy would probably be experienced if I was just free to pursue any one of these other particular attractions that I had. The second line that was crossed, cultivating attraction with someone else. I justified that by thinking, well, time spent with her makes me happy. It's good to feel happy with so many disappointments and difficulties in my life. And I'm not doing anything wrong. I mean, nobody's getting hurt. And that led to the next crossed line, the masked invitation, that statement that I made, oh, we better be careful. That was really an exploration to see if she shared same feelings and if we could just acknowledge that. And I justified saying that by thinking, you know what, I think she's attracted to me too. It'd be nice to know that somebody really thinks that way about me. We don't have to do anything about it. In fact, we shouldn't, we won't. But I just want to know. I want to be able to acknowledge this thing that's going on inside of me. And I think she feels the same way. Well, that turned into the next line of private conversations between us. And I justify that by saying, well, it feels good to say it. It feels good to hear it. This is what's missing from my marriage. But isn't it what everybody wants? We don't have to do anything about it. But why not at least enjoy talking about the what-ifs in our life? what if we were free to pursue what we feel what's wrong with conversation but that turned into the next line that was crossed physical affection i remember the first tentative hug and kiss with all kinds of stated boundaries in place oh we won't do anything more than this i justified it by saying it's natural to show affection to someone you feel so strongly about what's the harm in a hug or kiss if you don't let it go any farther than that nobody else will ever know anyway and then The next compromise, the secret plans we begin making. And I justified those by saying, I I don't want to give up something that feels so satisfying. I mean, I love the time I get to spend with her. We're not going to lose our marriages over this, but our connection, it's just too special to let go of right now. Why not enjoy it for a while? I can do this and still be a good husband and father. But then, after enough secret plans and secret meetings, the next line was crossed. The sexual line. I mean, that's a biggie. And yet by the time that line was crossed, I'd so self-justified that it was done with hardly any thought or effort. And the way I justified it was by thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't do it, but how can we not? I mean, it feels like we're falling in love with each other, and it just seems like the next natural step in this relationship. I want to know what it's like to be with her completely. We'll only do it once, and nobody will ever know. But it wasn't just one time. And then the next significant line was the devotion. I justified my devotion to my affair partner by thinking, well, how can you control love? Our connection is so easy and natural, it feels like we were always meant to be together. Isn't it better to be happy than to be bound by duty or obligation that feels so miserable? This isn't just something I want, it's something I deserve. Every step of compromise, every justification led to the next If you ask me, what line was crossed that started your affair? Well, a significant line was crossed when I verbalized the dangerous nature of my growing feelings about her. Up until that point, maybe it was just thought or suspicion, but I formalized it. I declared it. And after that, things just snowballed. But as I've also said, I do believe that the lines I crossed that made me vulnerable to the choices I made... The selfish choices that I'm 100% responsible for started in the earlier compromises. If the bright light of truth was shown on that and my wife had been listening or watching in, she would have certainly been hurt and offended. There's a couple who have started seeing me both committed to healing their marriage after the wife's affair. She also has a story to tell of faithfulness never intending to be unfaithful, never expecting that she would have an affair. As we talked about it, I asked if she would mind recording our conversation so that others could hear. We'll call her Amanda. Let's listen to her story. Yours is one of those stories where you ended up getting involved in an affair and on the other end of it, trying to come to terms with how that even happened in your life. You didn't intend to get involved you no. know, with another man. All of this comes about, like many of them do, not in one big step, but a steer- series of steps along the way mm-hmm. that eventually led to you being emotionally and physically involved mm-hmm. with someone else. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, even betrayed spouses, wonder how this happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Before the affair even started, Talk a little bit about what your marriage had become.
1: Well, my marriage had gotten to a place of emotional disconnection. Um, We had had problems in the past years of fights and things that we had gone to counseling for and had worked through that I thought we had worked through. But my husband was still holding on to a lot of the pain from those years Mm -hmm. of arguments and experiences that we had had. So I began to notice that he was not responding to me intimately. Mm -hmm. Um, When I wanted to be intimate with him, he was just not physically responding. It was almost like he didn't want to he would say, I believe you're, be- I, I think you're beautiful. It has nothing to do with your your body, even though I started questioning him about, you know, whether it was my physical appearance. I was just curious as to why he didn't want me. So that was over two years of rejection. He would not tell me he loved me unless I said it to him. Even at night when I would, you know, it's time to go to bed, I'd say, I love you. He'd say it to me. He never initiated mm-hmm. that. If I would look nice, like if we would go to church and I would be dressed nice to go somewhere to, or to a kid's event, he'd know he, you know, I knew I look good. <laughs> and he wouldn't even respond or say, honey, you look beautiful tonight. No compliments, just emotional disconnection. And, and I, throughout that time, I was desperately trying to get his attention. I would send him sexy photos and via text or, you know, I was constantly trying to be intimate with him to let him know that I did desire him. I did want him. And I really did want him. And just the constant rejection over months, couple of years, I began to question his excuses and would tell him, you don't desire me based on something emotional. What is it? What's going on? And he, um, He stated that he was still holding on to some of the things we had been through in the past and that he had not reached a place of forgiveness for those things. So I straight up asked him, do you love me? And he was quiet. He didn't answer. You know, we were in bed. He turned around like he was going to sleep. I turned around and I think I cried for about an hour And he didn't even turn around or put his arm around me or say anything to reassure me. So not until the very next night did he turn around and say, you know, I I do love you. But by that point, I didn't believe him.
0: You've made it very clear from the first time you came in here, you accept full responsibility for the affair. Yes. I've not heard you make any excuses about Mm -hmm. it and trying to blame anything. Mm -hmm. And so now you're describing a marriage that become confusing and disconnected and disappointing to you. But even in the moment you're describing right now, was your thought, well, I'm going to go find somebody that does? No,
1: no, absolutely not. I longed for my husband. I wanted my husband's love. Not for a second did I think, well, he doesn't let me, let me find somebody that does. Right. I was not, definitely not on any mission mm-hmm. to find that somewhere else.
0: So what's the thing you look back on and you see as maybe a first shift in a relationship with the man who eventually you had the affair with? You'd already been, had been training in physical training? Is it your trainer?
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this was someone that when I would come in for my sessions to work out, I was all business. Mm-hmm. I was there to get my workout done. I...
0: And there were other people involved. There were time. other
1: people yeah. involved at the time. There were So it was small group sessions, two to four people. And I was all all business when I was in there. And, um, you know, we would have little jokes between us. And there was a night where my daughter had a formal in downtown. And I, I thought, you know, I hadn't had a date with my husband in forever. So I suggested to my husband, hey, it's three hours. We can drop her off and go on a date. You know, he seemed open to it, but um, as the day progressed, he decided he just was too tired. So I was angry and I did what I probably should not have done. I put a little like jab being post on Facebook about date night solo hmm. that my fitness trainer saw. And as I was out, he sent me a text. Saying that it sucks that you're alone tonight, that you're on this date solo.
0: Was it normal for him to send you personal texts?
1: Mm, that was the first one okay. that I got from him that was a little bit more on a personal level, like.
0: And it comes at a response where you're clearly disappointed in something going on in your marriage, mm-hmm. and so he's aware of that and responds mm-hmm. to you in an empathetic way.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So. Um,
0: so now, several months later, you're feeling the full weight of the problems in your marriage?
1: I had a moment a day after that night where I did share with my husband. I was just very, I was really at a low place. I was emotional. And my fitness trainer, you know, he asked, Are you okay? You look like something's wrong, like you're different. And I just lost it. I started crying. And I began to share with him what I was going through. And of course, he, he was supportive and, you know, started saying things like, I think you're awesome, and it's unfortunate that your husband doesn't see you that way.
0: So he empathizes with you, listens yes. to you, and then builds you up. Mm-hmm. Gives you the things that you, it feels good for anybody to hear that. Mm-hmm.
1: And he's very supportive, and that led to more conversations about my marriage. Then I began to notice changes in how he would even greet me when I came in for my session. He would say, hey, hot stuff when I'd walk in. And of course I was always the first one there because I'm mm. a punctual person. I try to be there on time. There wasn't anyone around that would have heard him say those things. Um, and he'd never say it to any of the other female clients. He would never greet them that way.
0: Do you think at that point, you begin to think maybe this is somebody I'll have a relationship with?
1: I don't think at that point I did, you know, there's some men that have a flirtatious mm-hmm. personality mm-hmm. So when he first started doing that, I didn't think that as much until it just be- started becoming more
0: But it frequent. still felt good.
1: Yeah, of course. It yeah. always feels good yeah. to be complimented on how you look. Mm-hmm. You know, There were more sessions that we started having alone. And sometimes even when other people were there and I was doing a workout, he would make comments about how sexy my arms were looking. Mm-hmm. And he would come close and whisper that to me. Or he would tell me, you know, your determination and the way you work out is, it's hot. That's when I really began realizing that this guy was interested in, in me. It felt good. Yeah. It felt good to get the attention of someone. Someone that I had already built a friendship with and had shared with personal things about myself as well as him about his marriage. Mm-hmm. But nothing at that time was expressed about feelings or anything like that. It just became a very flirtatious relationship.
0: And you think if anybody had stepped into your life and kind of pulled you aside, and what they are, if they'd observed this and said, you know, you need to be careful. Uh, this might be going in a dangerous direction. Do you think you could would have acknowledged that been able to acknowledge it were you already thinking that it might be and maybe that's okay with me or was that still a step beyond where you thought it would
1: no i I think at that point i knew there was definitely a mutual attraction i don't really know if someone had observed that what i would have done Mm -hmm. um you know i'd like to think that maybe. Having that person, especially if it was someone close, that say that it probably could have potentially acted as a conscience. So, so about this
0: time, you're at the teetering point. You're leaning more and more into mm -hmm. this relationship.
1: Yes, there was a day that I told him I'm gonna need to text you because I'm not sure if I'm gonna make the six o'clock or the seven o'clock session. I had told him that, hey, you know, I'm actually gonna be out a little bit earlier. And he said, well, if you can do five, which was not a scheduled session, would you be okay if I worked out with you? So we meet up that night at the workout. I noticed that he was really frustrated and aggravated. And I said, hey, I said, what's going on? Are you all right? And he said, no, I just needed a workout because I had this fight with my wife and he was just sick and tired of it. And of course I was empathetic back as he had been with me. After we were done working out, he did tell me that he said, don't take this the wrong way, which I know pretty much means I'm going to take it whatever way he says it. Um, He said, but I just wanted to let you know that I really enjoy our texting and our texting banter. What were his words throughout the day? They just really make me smile and make me happy. Mm -hmm. I basically acknowledge that. Well, I'm glad to hear that that it does that for you because i i do care about you
0: that was an open acknowledgement from both of you the value you had in this relationship yes
1: and um we were getting close to one year that i had been working out with him so Mm -hmm. that's pretty much how our first outing Mm -hmm. together happened he said well it's one year we got to celebrate And that eventually led to planning our first outing. And he did specifically say, well, you know, kind of hinted that it was as friends, but we don't really want our spouses to find out about this.
0: So an agreed secrecy.
1: Yes. He picked a place. Um, We spent about five hours together that day. That was the first, um, I don't know if you could say lie. I I didn't tell my husband.
0: A lie of omission.
1: A lie of omission. I was obviously supposed to be at work, Mm -hmm. but I had taken a half day and spent the rest of the afternoon with with him. Mm -hmm. We did kiss that day. Um, We were already on the path to there were going to be more meetings.
0: So there probably at that point wasn't even a question of if. It was just a matter of how when would mm-hmm. that be?
1: But basically at the end of it, we both realized that this was going to bring a lot of pain to our families. And I, I was at a point where the secret was just becoming too heavy of a burden for me. And I I felt that I needed the separation to think about what I was going to do with my marriage and what I wanted out of my marriage, if I still wanted to be in my marriage. Mm-hmm. So we both, mutually decided to end the relationship. I did, I know I reached a point where I was like, well, you know, my marriage is terrible and now I've had this affair. There's no chance that once I reveal that, that he's gonna forgive me. So I might as well just go ahead and ask for a divorce, not even tell him about the affair, knowing that it's not gonna work out anyway. But the more I kept discerning and praying and asking God, what do I do? I came to the conclusion that I, I wanted to make an attempt to save my marriage but the only way I could do that was to be truthful with my husband about what I did. I decided to tell him that week about the affair. I, I told him it had happened, I told him that it was over, that I still wanted to save our marriage. That was probably one of the worst days of my life just seeing the grief that he was feeling over over that
0: yes uh, you, you guys are you guys are relatively early into the recovery process
1: yes we are
0: but i would tell you what i've seen in both of you are the very things that are necessary if there's hope for not just a marriage that avoids divorce but one that finds a return to intimacy and trust An affair changes. The marriage changes it for better, or for worse. You guys seem to be headed on a path that you're really going to learn from this, the things that make your relationship better and the things he's committed to is really working through the struggle of this and forgiving you and learning what it means to love you. Well, despite what's happened, your commitment seems to be a commitment to being very honest with him. Wanting to assure him and reestablish trust as time goes on. Mm -hmm. I've not heard any excuses from you. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about the progression of things, the lines Mm -hmm. that were crossed and how a woman who starts out having never considered she'd be someone who would have an affair, ends up Mm -hmm. having an affair. I'm kind of curious, and we haven't talked about this, but if you could rewind time, where would you make the first change, do you think? What were the first mm. shift that you would make that, that you think, boy, if I could have said this or done this differently, maybe that would have kept it from snowballing into the next and the next and the next thing?
1: I didn't shoot down the compliments. I made it okay for him to give me more and more and more. Mm-hmm. I think as I started seeing it more and more, I, I, I knew what was happening was inappropriate. Yeah. And I think it's recognizing, if I could go back, it's recognizing that it was compromising my marriage, um, my values, that I should have gotten myself out of that situation. Stop training with him.
0: It seems to me the first obvious risk or stepping over a healthy line was his response to your Facebook post. Mm -hmm. And on the surface, it has deniability, oh, it didn't mean anything by Mm -hmm. it, but I suspect that his reaching out to you, texting Mm -hmm. you in a personal way that it wasn't normal Mm -hmm. for him, was out of a different kind of maybe Mm -hmm. hope or longing to see if something might eventually Mm -hmm. come out that. I mean, I can't judge his heart for sure, but I wonder about that.
1: I think personal details about you and your spouse, sharing that with another man, Is risky in itself because you are opening up yourself emotionally to someone that is not your husband.
0: I hope that Amanda's story and my story help provide a clearer picture of the lines that get crossed and the justifications that are made after a line is crossed that set up the next compromise and the next justification and the progression of things that end up becoming an affair. Typically, unless alcohol is involved, people just don't jump quickly into that kind of relationship. There are steps along the way. And sometimes those steps begin even before the two people meet. It is in those moments of breaking an intimate trust by what a person thinks or what a person does. Breaks the promises made to a spouse and begins setting up a kind of justification that leads them further, further away. Let me say a few things to you, the listener, in conclusion. If you're an unfaithful spouse and you're actively involved in an affair, you need to recognize that maybe what you're doing and what you're telling yourself about it is very different from beliefs that you really hold on to. You need to look back at the progression of your own choices and try to step back and understand the justifications you've made along the ways. Believe me, if you came in and told me your story, pretty sure I've heard it hundreds of times before, and you've convinced yourself that it's unique. But the truth is, it's probably not. The promises you are violating not only hurt your spouse, not only hurt your marriage, they hurt you as well. And this path of self-justification is going to lead you to a less healthy place, not a more healthy one. One way to end this is to shine a light on the secrecy, to disclose and to begin to heal. If you've already ended an affair, I encourage you to focus on the truth. Be honest to your spouse. Be honest to yourself. Stop defending. Stop justifying. Stop hiding. Stop lying. Let truth prevail so real healing can take place. If you're a betrayed spouse and your partner is still involved in an affair, please understand this. What your wayward spouse says about that affair and your marriage is likely motivated by self-justification, not truthfulness. Your effort to make sense by what they are saying right now probably is not going to help you because it's so shaded by self-justification. Things that they've told themselves and convinced themselves are true are likely not. At least it's a mix of the truth and not the truth. And from their perspective and in their current state of mind, they hardly know the difference between those two. So don't let your wayward spouse define the truth for you. If you're a betrayed spouse and your partner has ended the affair, and the two of you are considering the rebuilding of your marriage, you're going to want to understand the affair. But as you seek to do that, avoid searching for a single explanation for the ultimate outcome. Instead, recognize the series of compromises and justifications that led them to the choices they made. If you choose to work on repairing your marriage, you will eventually need to hear clear answers to these questions. What were the choices that betrayed your promises to me? And don't just stop at the obvious ones, you know, when it became a full affair, start stepping back. What were all the choices that betrayed your promises to me? How did those choices progress? How did you justify them as you made them? You should also ask, do you think differently about these choices and justifications now? If so, how? And then, what gives you and me the assurance that you won't do this again? And let me tell you, when you ask these questions, let them give the answers. Don't try to answer that for them, because if they have not wrestled through this themselves, and they cannot provide you with satisfying answers— then you're probably not safe to move ahead in the relationship. If they're confused or unsure, which they might be, tell them to get some help, whether it's through counseling, reading, so they can give you satisfying responses to questions like those. If you're a couple working on this together, you need to realize that the rebuilding of intimacy and trust also comes in a series of steps. It's not gonna be one big thing that just brings you to that point. You're going to have to take your own series of steps to get to the outcome you desire. Let me end by reading a quote from my e-book, Fair Healing, A Recovery Guide for Couples. Reaching connection in your marriage is not like crossing a line at the end of a race. Healing spouses who are disconnected one moment don't suddenly discover they have arrived back to intimacy again. The experience is more like moving toward the center of concentric stages. You will have occasions of connection before it becomes the norm in your marriage again. You've probably already experienced encounters that stirred a familiar longing for closeness. Maybe you've stepped cautiously in and out of these connecting moments, but eventually you need to move purposefully into them so that connection once again becomes the place where your marriage rests. Take the steps together and you'll find your way there. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by AffairHealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for Affair Recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to AffairHealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.